morning, everyone. Good to see you tonight. Trust you're having a good week. We are in Colossians tonight, chapter 1, so if you want to turn in your Bibles there to Colossians chapter 1, thank you, Albert, for leading us tonight. Okay, why don't I go ahead and lead us in word prayer here. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to assemble and to study your word, to hear from you. Uh, Lord, we, uh, might, might we have ears to hear what you have to say to us. And, and uh, so bless our study time in the word. Also, our uh, time with the Awana youth group. Thank you for all the workers there. Pray that the ministry of the word would go forth with power there as well. So we thank you for your presence and uh, thank you for speaking tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are in Colossians, one of the uh, four prison epistles that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote. And uh, he begins here by giving thanks for all the saints in Colossae. And then he is, uh, well, greetings first and then thanksgiving. But he's thankful for how uh, they have been fruitful. Uh, since the time they got and saved, they have been fruitful. And so uh, we note the theme of Colossians, as we have on the overhead, is the supremacy of Christ, the sufficiency and supremacy of Christ. Um, tremendous book on this as we get especially into chapter 2, chapter 1, chapter every chapter. But uh, let's pick it up tonight. Uh, who wants to read chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 to get us going here tonight? Yeah, Kurt? Okay, thank you. So uh, he says, uh, for this reason, and uh, backing up to how Epaphras had declared their love in the Spirit and and, uh, reported on them, uh, he says, for this reason we also, since that day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Uh, Tying back to Epaphras' report, he is thankful for their salvation and for how they have been bearing fruit spiritually. And so he's saying, uh, since, since the time we have known about you and your conversion, we have been praying for you. We do not cease to uh, pray f- for you. So prayer is all important for the saints. We all need prayer. Uh, God works through prayer. We all need prayer. And praise the Lord for uh, God's people who pray. But uh, you say, well, how should we pray for one another? How should I pray for you? How should you pray for me? How should we pray for the saints in general? Well, we ought to start with their health needs, don't you think? I mean, that's important. Why are you laughing, Jan? This is not funny. (laughs) It's kind of almost sarcastic, isn't it? Because Paul doesn't emphasize that. He emphasizes their spiritual well-being. Not that the physical isn't important. Uh, You know, John says, I I pray above all that and wish above all that you may prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. So I think there's definitely a place for uh, praying for physical well-being. Don't get me wrong. But on the top of Paul's mind, of his agenda here, as far as praying, was their spiritual well-being. And so he says, uh, here's what we're praying. He even tells them what he's praying about. Uh, We do not cease to pray for you and to ask He's asking God, who can do something about this in their hearts and in their lives, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. 
what is the will of God? Do you know what the will of God is? You know, I was reading this in World Magazine today. This little gal writes in. This is World Magazine. If you don't know about World Magazine, they're kind of reporting on everything that's going on in the world from a Christian perspective. But anyway, as an 18-year-old who is still trying to find her place in the world, I have regularly asked myself, what, God's, what is God's will and what isn't? What's the right path and what is wrong? Well, what is the will of God? And where do you find it? You need to learn to follow sanctified feelings. Right? No, that's, that's the wrong answer. I mean, it's a contemporary answer, but it's not the right answer. Uh, how, how do you know the will of God? The Word of God. That's right. The will of God and the Word of God match up. And so really, I think he's praying to mature in their understanding of the Word so that they will know the will of God. And uh, notice uh, a key word here. What's a key word in reference to the will here? Uh, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. What, what's the key word there? Knowledge. Knowledge. Uh, you know, that's a different word. It's a key word. It's a key word in the book, actually, in the whole little book of Colossians. This word knowledge is a, a key word. And, uh, you know, he doesn't say, uh, he doesn't mention mysticism, doesn't mention experience, doesn't mention feelings. The emphasis right here is knowledge. Knowledge which relates to truth, absolute truth, objective truth, something you can know. And uh, so he's uh, wanting them to be filled with this knowledge, uh, the knowledge of his will. Uh, let's see here. I think I got a slide. Yes. Do you know what the will of God is? It is made clear in the Bible. It is the word rightly divided and applied to life. A huge portion of of the air and false teaching we have in the church days based on the fact that people no longer go by the word. And I'm talking about Christians, professing Christians. They go by experience. They go by what feels right to them. Uh, the way we know God's will is through his word. This is part of the concern at Colossae. People were bringing in philosophies in addition to the word. They were saying, you need more than the Bible. You also need philosophy, etc." So that, that's a key problem that Paul is addressing in the book of Colossians here. So uh, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. And then he says, uh, by the way, where does that knowledge start? Where does it start? They already got a jump start on it here. He's addressing the saints at Colossae. Yeah, God is not wanting anyone to perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. So, I mean, it starts there, the knowledge of the truth, the gospel truth, and then you build on that. Um, notice he says, he qualifies it here, the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Uh, there's a close connection between wisdom and spiritual understanding. Uh, what is wisdom? Biblically speaking, what is wisdom? You know, you can have wisdom, right? How do you... How do you uh, Pardon the English. How do you get wisdom? Yeah, James says if you ask in faith, God who gives liberally will, will give it to you if you ask in faith. Well, then what is it? What are, we, what are we asking for? Well, we start there. But then the wisdom, I think, is applying it. Applying godly principles, godly living to life. 
How should I handle this in a godly way? That's wisdom. It's not like I'm going to all of a sudden have a great IQ, a higher IQ. Uh, no, it's going to be, I'm going to have guidance from the Lord through the scriptures, through his principles, through his wisdom, as far as how I should handle this situation with this very difficult person. Ask for wisdom. God will direct you. How's he going to do that? Well, through the scriptures. He may use another Christian. He may use other things, circumstance, whatever. But the principal way, uh, when we talk about knowledge, we're talking about objective knowledge through the word of God here. Uh, So wisdom, godly application, and spiritual understanding. What's spiritual understanding? Discernment. There's the key word right there, discernment. So proper application in terms of godly application, and and really they go together. You discern so that you can apply properly uh, to life. So that's the idea here. Um, Okay, Uh, anything else here that you want to bring out in terms of verse 9 here? So we get going here. All right, very good. Let's have, uh, well, we did. We read verse 10 there too. That you may walk worthy of the Lord. There's the out where he wants to go. He's praying to be filled with knowledge in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him. Uh, this is, is the goal. His prayer for them is to this end. It, it relates to their walk. Uh, that they would live consistently uh, with who they are now in Christ as a good testimony for Jesus Christ, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. You know what that tells me? You can walk in such a way that it's not worthy. You know, you can, you can as a Christian, not be a good testimony at certain points along the way, for sure. But he's praying that they would, and that they would be fully pleasing him. The goal is to please God, right? I mean, the ultimate goal for all of us is when we stand before God, that we hear him say, well done. Uh, this was Paul's aim, as he talks about in, in uh, was it First or Second Corinthians chapter five? I get it mixed up here. I think it's Second Corinthians chapter five. Uh, his his desire was that he would be pleasing to the Lord. Uh, then he says here, and by the way, we now pick up uh, four participles that modify walking uh, worthy and what pleases the Lord. There's uh, four participles here. And uh, the first one is being fruitful in every good work. Being fruitful in every good work. So he's praying that they'll be fruitful. Uh, Now, we're not saved by fruit. We're saved by faith. But the goal, then, is that our faith would be fruitful. And uh, fruitful in every good work is what he is saying. Uh, You know, we want our lives to count for Jesus Christ. And and making our lives count is being fruitful. And uh, there's lots of good things that we can be doing as Christians. Uh, active goodness and doing good things are to characterize our lives. There's all kinds of bad in this world, but we're to be making a good difference. Uh, Jesus in his ministry went about doing good, beneficial things, benevolent things. Uh, Note the the word every in the phrase, fruitful in every good work. God's people should be doing all kinds of things that are beneficial and helpful for others. Fruitful means bountiful and plentiful. In the sphere of good works, we are to be doing lots of things. Uh, you know, that's what we should be doing. Uh, we ought to be do-gooders. Uh, we're looking for how we can help, you know, things we can do, uh, bearing uh, good fruit and being fruitful in every good work. And then he says, the second participle, and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's like there's a double emphasis right here, right out the gate here. 
uh, increasing in the knowledge of God. Second participle here, related to growth, learning to know God. That, that's, what, that's what we're doing. You know, I've been married for, uh, we're trying to figure out the other days, 37, 38 years. But one of my goals in life is to get to know my wife. And you know, there's more, more of her to get to know. And I always tell her that because she'll be wrong about certain things. I say, I'm always keeping you guessing. Uh, we're still learning each other. Just think of God, how awesome and vast God is, how much there is to get to know about God. Uh, that's what he's praying for them here, uh, increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, this is uh, a great uh, way to pray for people. We Christians are those who are malnourished in the word. Uh, those having major problems in their spiritual life generally are people who are not in the word, not being taught, and consequently are not growing. Growing Christians are healthy Christians. And note that growth is inherently connected to the knowledge of God. So he's connecting those two. Uh, emphasis on uh, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Earlier in verse 9, there he prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. So strong emphasis on knowledge, knowing God, and, and growing in our, in our knowledge of God, to know God. All right. Um, very good. Anything else there, those two verses? All right, let's uh, read verses 11 and 12. Who wants to uh, read those? Yeah, Pat. Okay, thank you. So, third participle, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. You know what that's saying? Well, you might not know what it's saying, but it's saying something really powerful, right? <laughs> you know that. Uh, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Uh, all might, that's limitless power. Uh, we're tapping into the omnipotence of God here, is what this is saying. Strengthened with all might. Uh, everything you need here, every, all the power you need, according to his glorious power. Here, here's the qualifier. It's according to God's glorious power. Really, to the power of his glory. According to the power of his glory. That's his omnipotent power. What we might see elsewhere is resurrection power. Uh, in our experience, uh, he wants them to uh, have this happening, that they would be strengthened in this way. Now, uh, we might say, how does this look in, the, in your life? Well, he goes on to qualify it. You know, he doesn't go on to talk about miracles, eloquence, brilliance, signs and wonders. That's not what he's talking about here. Uh, really, what he is really talking about here in knowing God and living it out in a powerful way, he's talking about character. Notice the things that he mentions in the same uh, breath here. Uh, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. There you go. The idea of patience is to remain under. It's the idea of endurance, to bear up under pressure. There's where God's power shows up. Uh, sometimes, don't you wish you just had all the pressures? Well, if I could just get away from all this pressure. Maybe God wants to glorify himself through the pressure. Uh, he gives us the pressures so that he might show himself strong. It's like, how did I get through that? Well, God gives the strength to get through it. And that's what he's praying for them for. And then, 
long-suffering. Uh, and long-suffering. For all patience and long-suffering. Uh, that word long-suffering is kind of an interesting word, isn't it? I mean, long putting long and suffering together is kind of the idea, right? You suffer long. Uh, so it's that, it's that idea here of self-restraint. When people are irritating you, you refrain, you know, from smacking them. That's part of it. <laughs> Just kidding on that part. But it is the idea of, of a self-restraint. Uh, you restrain the flesh when you're mistreated. You don't respond like your flesh would like to. Uh, that's the idea of long-suffering. Long-suffering puts up with a lot. It does suffer long. Puts up with, with difficult people uh, in a big way. Uh, someone has said, patience is enduring without complaint and long-suffering is enduring without retaliation. Uh, patience has more to do with circumstances and long-suffering has more to do with people. We need both, right? We need to be patient with circumstances and we need to be long-suffering with people. Let's just think about that a little bit. Difficult people in your life, in my life, we all have them, right? If you don't have a difficult person in your, your life, my, that's a real rare find. Uh, we all have challenges. We all have challenging people. One place or another, they're going to show up. I don't know how that works, but they just do. And, uh, but God's power is on display when we handle them with long suffering, which is, which is a challenge here. And then he says, not only this, but you do so with joy. With joy. Are you kidding me? I might, uh, I might uh, have patience, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying anything negative. But what's my attitude? Uh, people drive me crazy, but what's my attitude? My long-suffering with joy. Long-suffering and joy don't seem to go together, do they? But they should. And with the power of God on display, they do. Uh, it's really not natural to live this way. It's supernatural. Uh, do you know what is natural? Difficult pressures come into the life. And what does the world do? Here, here's what they do. They do what's natural. They blow up. They cuss, swear, and blaspheme. They're anything but patient. But if the believer responds with patient, self-controlled endurance, that's a testimony of God's power operative in their life. When someone mistreats you, the natural thing is to strike back, to retaliate. But if the believer responds with grace and does not retaliate, that is a testimony of God's supernatural power, especially when they do these things with joy. That's powerful Christian living here. You say, well, I'm just going everywhere. Miracles are happening. Let's, try, let's just talk patience and long-suffering for a little bit. That's what he's praying for these people for. Very much in where we live in the trenches of life related to circumstances and difficult circumstances and difficult people. So joy delights in God and his sovereignty. I think that's what joy does. And joy is that, that, that affirmation in my soul that God's working all things together for my good and I can have joy in spite of the difficult circumstances, in spite of the difficult people. I can have joy knowing that God's in control and he's working it out ultimately for my good and his glory. All right. Uh, anything else? Yeah, Michael.
Well, amen. Well said. Amen. You know, there's always challenges. Uh, What if you have a difficult person who is sinning? What do you do about that? Yeah. Should you be long-suffering? Yes. With joy? Hopefully. (laughs) But should you ever do anything about it? That's my question. Should you confront them? So sometimes no, you think? (laughs) yeah maybe we want to start with with what your qualifier is are we talking a believer we talking an unbeliever Uh, what about if we're talking about a believer should they be confronted yeah I think we have a responsibility to confront brother sister in sin right yeah yeah, we do. I mean, we're a holy family. We are to hold each other accountable. Uh, so you can't just do sinful things and say, well, but you're all to be long-suffering. You just have to put up with my sinfulness. Uh, no, there's a balance here as far as confronting people. Paul definitely knew about confronting people as well. Um, you know, it talks about different places where uh, <laughs> you do confront. Uh, and you shouldn't even so much as eat with certain people and so forth. So uh, just to kind of balance here a little bit, like you say, well, and we are to be long-suffering. But it's not like we just, to the end of the earth, just tolerate sinful action. Uh, There is a point where, no, this needs to be confronted. This is not right. And uh, so there's that end of it, too. All right, yeah. Well, you mentioned Mr. Avada, character. Yep. Yeah. Amen. All right. Verse 12. Then he comes to the fourth participle here. Giving thanks to the Father. Giving thanks to the Father. Uh, We are to be a thankful people. Uh, There's a verse that says, in everything give thanks. Where is that found? Is that Old Testament or New Testament? I said New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Uh, So we are to be a... I, I have said for years that... Our testimony should just even shine in our thanksgiving. Everybody's complaining out here. It's easy for us as Christians to even fall into complaining. But we have so much to be thankful for. Uh, giving thanks to the Father. The idea of our Father is that He is our sovereign caretaker. Uh, we are dependent upon Him. He's our source. Uh, he's our support. And He is the end of all things. He's our Father. And... Uh, so as we think about what he's emphasizing here in terms of what he's praying for these people, he's praying to be fruitful in every good work, number one. 
Number two, that they would be increasing in the knowledge of God. They're getting to know God more deeply. Uh, Number three, that they would be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, spiritually, character-wise, related to patience and long-suffering. And then 12, giving thanks to the Father. Now, we're not done with this giving thanks theme because he now gives four reasons why we should be thankful, right? This just kind of keeps going here. And so, uh, here in verse 12, uh, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So that's where he starts, his first reason. He has uh, qualified us. That is, he has made us fit uh, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Um, this relates to conversion. Uh, you know, he, he has uh, made us. Uh, he has qualified us. Uh, we're not self-made. God qualifies us. By his grace, we're God-made people, trophies of grace. Uh, And then uh, qualified us to be partakers is the idea to share in uh, the inheritance of the saints in light. Uh, The idea of inheritance, it literally means uh, the portion of the lot. Uh, We have a, a share in the kingdom treasure. We have a share in the kingdom inheritance, ultimately. And uh, what, what, kind of, what does our inheritance look like? Do you know? I mean, inheritance is what you, what you get, what you receive. Uh, you know, somebody dies, leaves you inheritance. It's, it's what, you're, what you're going to get. Uh, that's the idea here. It's, it's our portion. It's what, what God has for us as we ultimately get to where we're going out there in the eternal kingdom. Uh, what is this? We, he has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance. You have a share in it. If you're a saint, that's what it says, inheritance of the saints. What is it? Just what? Is that all? Now, Amy, think about what you just said there. Is that all? Yeah, yeah. And I'd be a little sarcastic here, too. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. Uh, how much bigger? Well, that's true. Uh, what God has in store for those who love him. That's true. But we do have some descriptions here, right? Romans eight thirty two. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely, by grace, give us some things? All things. That's what I was talking about. Yeah. Not only the earth. I'd say the new heavens, too. Uh, everything. Uh, Revelation 21, 7, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. You know, as joint heirs with Jesus Christ, do you ever think about what that means to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ? Joint heir, we're heirs together. You know, I've got five siblings. My parents died. My dad died. I'm the executor of the estate. You know, you know we all have an equal share. Totally. We're, we're joint heirs. Uh, we have a joint inheritance here, all of us. And, uh, but think about being a joint heir with Jesus Christ. What belongs to him? Everything. What belongs to us? Everything. We just can't fathom this. I mean, I don't think we'll ever get over it. I, I just can't imagine what it's like going from this life to glory and, and what the kingdom's going to be like. Uh, the inheritance that we have, what God has in store, the portion that he has for us, 
It's, it's incredible. No wonder he's saying, give me thanks. We have a lot to be thankful for as far as our inheritance related to eternity. And then he qualifies it, uh, the inheritance of, of the saints in light. Uh, so again, this is the inheritance of, of the saints. This is the lot of the saints. And uh, the word saint means uh, set apart ones. And in the New Testament, all believers are, are shown to be saints. You don't have to wait on some church council to vote, right? If you have to wait on a church council to vote, I'm, I'm afraid you're an ain't and not a saint, right? You're not going. Uh, we become set apart for Christ at the moment of saving faith. We belong to him and we are in Christ. Uh, the saints in light, uh, light relates to ultimately uh, God's presence, his kingdom. Uh, he is uh, the eternal God who dwells in light as, as we find. Uh, the new city, the new Jerusalem, the lamb is the, is the light of the city. And so I think this relates to uh, what we are going to share in with God, in, in God's intimate presence, our intimate relationship with him uh, for all eternity. All right. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't know that it won't mean a thing, but it, it will have a different meaning than it does here. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know if I want to go that far. The reason I say that is there's a tremendous emphasis on, on gold, for example, in the, in the New Jerusalem. It's the golden city. The streets are gold. I mean, these details are important for some reason, right? I think we will marvel at it. Uh, Christ said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places, many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. I think that's significant, uh, you know. Now, I don't think it'll be like here, like, hey, look what I got. I don't think it'll be. It'll be a different value system than we know here. But I think we're all going to appreciate it, you know. That's all I'm saying. But, yeah. Yeah, Steve. Yeah? Just as the Lord set up his right hand goes to Jerusalem, and the mighty man goes to his right, and the rich man goes to his riches, and his goes, the new world goes to his second understanding and worship, guiding the Lord to practice his steadfast love, justice, righteousness on the earth, and these things are wise and Right. Well, amen, amen. That's absolutely true because, we, and just what Jay was saying, we're going to leave everything behind here. Brought nothing into this world. You're not going to carry anything out. What's going to matter? Uh, it's knowing God, just like you're saying there out of Jeremiah there. So, amen. All right, let's have somebody read uh, 13 and 14 to finish us out here tonight. Who wants to read that for us? Yeah, Anita? Okay, very good. So, number three reason to be uh, thankful, uh, or number two, excuse me, I'm ahead of myself here. 
Uh, number one, he's, uh, we're partakers of the inheritance. Number two, he has delivered us from, my translation says power, yours says dominion, uh, of darkness. Uh, delivered is the idea of rescued. It's, this was a divine rescue. We've been rescued. You ever been rescued? Were you ever drowning or something and somebody rescued you? Uh, you know, um, I've been in, yeah, anyway, different situations. But uh, this is the idea. And it's delivered us from the power of darkness. That's the realm of Satan, Satan's realm. And it's a realm of deception, a realm of wickedness, uh, where we were in bondage uh, to sin. And notice, he has delivered us. It's, this is God's doing. We didn't deliver ourselves, saying, well, I was able to escape through my own. No, no, no. He rescued us. Uh, he delivered us from the penalty of sin and also the power of sin. And the whole domain of darkness seems to be in view here. The power of darkness, as it says in my new King James. So uh, that relates to our walk. Yes, we've been delivered from the penalty, but also the very dominion, the, the very bondage, the very power uh, of darkness. Uh, so where we can walk as he describes here, uh, according to the, the, the power that we now have uh, through the Lord. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, number three, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Conveyed is the idea of transferred. It's transferred. It's been a transformation. You know, people... We asked, somebody asked last week, they moved and they asked for a transfer of membership. So we promptly refused that and said, we don't do that here. I'm just kidding. Expositors, this is a word, this word conveyed, that was used in secular literature in reference to removing a person from one country and settling them as colonists and citizens of another country. Uh, we've been uh, transferred. Uh, we have had our membership transferred. We were in Satan's realm, and now we're in the kingdom. It's conveyed us into the kingdom, into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Now, what does this mean that He's conveyed us into the kingdom? Are you in the kingdom? That's right. In what sense are you in the kingdom? Are you in heaven? Well, come on. If you're, if you're, if you're in the kingdom, you've got to be in heaven. Uh, you, you can't have it one way on one hand and the other on the other hand. Are you in heaven? Ah, how about the kingdom? Your position is there. We're not in the kingdom, but we're citizens of the kingdom. And, and so we've been uh, positioned there. That's where we're, just like we are seated in the heavenly places, as he talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. We are currently right now seated in the heavenlies, according to Paul. Positionally, that's where we are, but we're not physically there yet. Same with the kingdom. Uh, we've been conveyed into the kingdom. We've been transferred positionally into that, into that state of the kingdom. Uh, into the kingdom of the son of his love, speaking of the love relationship between uh, the members of the Godhead here. Now, uh, it is kind of astounding uh, to think that he has put us in that position by grace. What a great inheritance we have and uh, what a great position we have in the kingdom. We're on our way to the kingdom. We're not there yet, but positionally, we're already there. Okay, and then verse 14, one more. Uh, number four, uh, number one is partakers, thankful that we're partakers of the inheritance. Number two, that he's delivered us from the power of darkness, number three, and that he's conveyed us into the kingdom. And now, number four, 
in whom we have redemption through his blood. Mine says through his blood. The old, older translations, or older manuscripts don't have uh, of his blood here. But the parallel in Ephesians 1, 7 does. So I think we're, we're all good here. Um, huh? Yeah, mine does too. But before, before that, it talks about in whom we have redemption through his blood, my, my new King James. Uh, notice in whom speaks uh, of this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, in whom uh, we are in union with him. We have redemption. Redemption is a rich word. It means to set free by paying a price. It's uh, to redeem a slave would be down, go down to the slave market and you would pay whatever the price is for the slave and then allow them to go free. Uh, that's where we were. We were in the slave market of sin, right? And Jesus comes and redeems us. He pays our price. How did he pay it for us? With his blood? That's right. Ephesians 1, 7 specifically says that. Uh, here the New King James says it too, but as I say, it's not in the older manuscripts. But there's really two emphasis uh, related when it comes to redemption. You have the, the emphasis, the price was paid, and the emphasis of going free. And they go together. Price had to be paid so that we could go free. We've been redeemed. Uh, the price has been paid. We've been set free. That's the idea here. Um, Christ is our redemption, according to 1 Corinthians 1.30. It's, it's certainly not rituals. It's not good works. It's not religion. Uh, it's not anything else you can say. Christ is our redeemer. Uh, he is our redemption. I got a couple of slides here. Scarlet thread of redemption all the way through the Bible. We see the theme of redemption. The word redemption means to deliver by paying a price, as I say. The Bible paints one consistent picture, and that is the price of sin required a blood payment. In Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, God provided tunics of skin for clothing. Abel brought an animal offering to God, which was acceptable. In Exodus, we see the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, we have the sacrificial system and blood given for atonement on the altar. In Joshua, we find Rahab binding a scarlet cord in her window. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53 graphically portray the blood sacrifice of Christ. In the Gospels, we have Christ introduced as the Lamb of God, followed by his crucifixion, considered in great detail. Acts propagates the story, and the epistles further explain it. The book of Revelation speaks of Jesus 28 times in reference to the Lamb. And concludes with him coming clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Boy, all the way through, from Genesis to Revelation, we have this, this great emphasis on redemption. The price that has been paid for us. And then, uh, the forgiveness of sins. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, you know, forgiveness has been said to be the most wonderful word in the English language. It's not bad in Greek either. Ephemi is the, is the Greek word. And it literally means to send away. Uh, to send away. Uh, the idea is removed from. And uh, God has uh, sent it away. Uh, the Bible says under the new covenant, he, he remembers our sins no more. Does God have amnesia, selective amnesia? No, he chooses it. It will never be held against us ever again, for sure. Um, the idea of sins means to miss the mark. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. We all have shortcomings. None of us measure up. 
But I want to share this with you because this idea of forgiveness is uh, redemption and forgiveness really go together. And they really go together in relationship to the Day of Atonement. And so uh, note here, these twin ideas of redemption and forgiveness are perfectly illustrated in reference to the Day of Atonement as recorded in Leviticus 16. On the Day of Atonement, two goats were used to illustrate salvation. The first goat was slain as a blood sacrifice. The blood was then sprinkled by the high priest on the mercy seat. It symbolically covered the past year of sins by Israel. But then another goat was brought before the high priest. The priest would put both hands on the head of the goat, symbolically transfer all the sins of the people onto this goat. But instead of sacrificing this goat, called the scapegoat, it would be led and released into the wilderness, never to be seen again. It was pictured as taking the sins of the people far away, never to be seen again. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Uh, sacrifice, redemption, the price it's paid, requiring blood, and then forgiveness, sent away. As far as the east is from the west, so has removed our transgressions from us, uh, Psalm 103. So uh, that's the idea here. Uh, we have been redeemed and we are forgiven. Uh, how, how wonderful this is. Well, how should we pray for God's people? I would say the spiritual, their spiritual life and well-being is most important. Certainly physical as well. But we tend to emphasize the physical and not so much the spiritual as we really pray for people. I, I think we could probably deepen in our, in our prayer life in that way. Uh, Paul's praying for them to be fruitful, that they would grow in knowledge of God, that they would be strengthened spiritually, and then that they would be thankful in relationship to these things that he has mentioned here, uh, whether it be that we are partakers of the inheritance, uh, whether we, it is that we've been delivered from the power of darkness, conveyed into the kingdom, or the redemption that we have now and the forgiveness of sins. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up here? Okay. If not, let's go ahead and share some uh, prayer items here.